You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 107. On today's show, I chat with Rachel Schmeling, an actor and finance coach. We talk about mindset and accountability for improving our finances. We discuss budgeting, falling in love with future you, reframing negative money attitudes, defining success and finding our core beliefs, and shifting out of victim mindset and taking ownership of our finances. The outtakes from Rachel's interview are available on Patreon. We discuss more about defining success, Taylor Swift, and the question Rachel asks me. You can access those outtakes and support our mission to get freelancers improving their finances by going to patreon.com slash artistic finance. If you watch this interview on YouTube, the first half is out of sync. Me and technology were having a battle and Technology One. If you listen to the show on Spotify, you might have noticed that the last few episodes haven't been publishing. Now that snafu has been fixed, so all the shows are now out on Spotify, so maybe scroll back through the feed just in case you missed any. And without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel. We are recording this June 23rd, 2022. Broadway is ending the requirement to wear masks indoors. That starts on July 1st. And today, I welcome Rachel Schmeling to the show. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So I just want to start by saying that Rachel and I went to the same undergrad, Missouri State University, arguably the best theater school in Missouri. Yes. Arguably the best theater school in the United States and arguably the best theater school in the world. Yes. So funny. I know. And we just missed each other too, but that was such a great coincidence. First things first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, So I grew up in Wisconsin, which is why I ended up going to school and college in Missouri. It was uh, quite close, Midwestern pals. Um, And I grew up doing theater. Um, There's a theater for young audiences uh, in Milwaukee. It's called First Stage. Um, And it was actually the first theater in the country to do age-appropriate casting. So casting children as children. Um, And they created a theater training program that I did for 10 years. And I had the incredible opportunity to act on their professional stage for the same 10 years. Um, And I just decided that I wanted to to do it for as long as I could. And um, I actually started a musical theater. Uh, So I auditioned for musical theater programs and got into Missouri State, um, where I actually transitioned to the the acting program after that, and then went on to get my graduate degree um, in classical theater overseas in Scotland. That kind of brought me to New York, and I never really wanted to move to New York, but it just kind of ended up that way, and um, that's where I've been ever since. Um, And so moving to New York, I, you know, did what every actor did and started waiting tables and, you know, finding other side gigs um, to work on, primarily yoga. Um, I got my yoga teaching certification and kind of went that, um, that route. Um, and then the pandemic hit. 
And I lost all my streams of income. Everything shut down. Uh, we went through this collective trauma, as I'm sure all, your, all the listeners are very well aware of. And actually, during that time, I was a huge period of like transformation to me. I started working with two different coaches, a creative coach and a financial coach. And both of them really affected me in different ways. But the financial coach, um, the work that we did together really transformed my life in ways that um, sometimes I still struggle to articulate. It was just so powerful, that work. I had in like instilled in me this love of personal finance or, you know, I didn't even know that I had. And I'm a Gemini. I, I love to learn. I've always been very curious. And eventually I became a financial coach myself. So I'm really passionate about teaching others about personal finance, especially artists, entrepreneurs, people who maybe historically haven't thought they haven't had stable streams of income or maybe thought that was something they could never have financial security um, because that I was the same. I thought I could never have something like that. So that's kind of kind of me in a nutshell, actor, writer, finance coach. There we go. I love it. Great combinations. I am curious, why didn't you want to move to New York? It's a great question. Uh, I just wrote a blog about it. <laughs> I was scared. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in a really sheltered, um, you know, family and community. And I just didn't really feel equipped at 18 to move to, you know, a big city, be that LA or New York. So I didn't audition for like any schools in either city. Um, and just kind of went from there. When I did move to New York, I, I ended up as um, I think people do falling in love with it, but um, I'm actually moving out of the city in the next few months. So it was, it was great, great for a time. And I'm realizing that, um, you know, artists can be artists everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in today's day and age, which we say every, every year of our life, we're saying, well, especially in today's day and age. I think the industry has really changed, though, in the past, like, you know, five to 10 years in terms of regional theater and the opportunities that are, are available and that sort of thing. Absolutely. So that's a little bit about you. Now, even more, your creative personality what is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member? Such a tough question. I, the first thing that comes to mind is a concert. I really love experiencing music um, and being in that kind of communal setting. I think it's very freeing and it's just unlike any, any other kind of experience, that kind of communion. Um, but I also love live theater. I think just the live aspect of both of those things, be it music or theater, is really compelling to me um, because, you know, in, in that event, there is that communion, that transmission of energy between audience member and performer that you just really can't capture in any other medium. And so I really love being a part of that. All right. Now your financial personality. Are you good or bad with money? That's a tricky question. I think... Now I'm good with money. I would have had a different answer for you a few years ago, but right now, good with money. Yeah. And you mentioned you came to New York and then pandemic hit. How old were you when you came here? And then how old were you when pandemic hit? And how old are you now that you're moving out after surviving the hardest part of New York ever? I know, right? Um, I was, how old is that? I was 22. It was, oh my God, it was 2016. I literally moved to New York two weeks after the 2016 election. I just turned 29. So I'll be 29 when I, when I leave. So I've been here for about six years. All right. So today's topic, let's roll into that. And we're talking about mindset and accountability. A lot of artists tell themselves, you know, oh, artists, I can be bad with money because that's like, that's something we can get away with. We're creative, et cetera, et cetera. 
And then I think also accountability comes with that of like, no, you have to take care of yourself because nobody, yeah, there's nobody that's going to do it. But this is something that comes up on every episode because it's like you have to put your mindset in a place where you don't accept the fact that you have to be a starving artist or that you have to take the low paying jobs. Mindset, artists don't have to starve. Art is important. Therefore, people that are working in the arts industry are valuable. It's not like artists are these things we don't need. Our value is our job of creating art. And so there's a lot of artists that are financially stable. And capitalism, as we all know, is not made for free spirits. It's just not. (laughs) But there's a lot of artists, perhaps a majority of artists, really, who actually earn a living and often a good living by working in the arts. In theater and entertainment, live entertainment, that can be helped by joining a union. It can also be helped by if you're the best in the business. <laughs> like if you're just really good, that's that's a repeating theme on the show. Like you have to be really good. Um, and that certainly makes things easier. Um, but it all starts with that mindset that you are valuable and that you can have a financially successful life in the arts. And then we get to accountability, which is once you know that you're valuable and that your financial wellness is in your control, then you have to make moves to create that life and make it all perfect. So that's generally how I look at mindset and accountability. I'm curious what your take on it is. Yeah, I think that everything that you said is true. Uh, The thing I'll add is I have heard many artists express to me a fear uh, of not being an artist if they do something else for money. And I think that is um, a, a key part of the mindset work that I work on with my clients that are artists, because um, it's not just the mindset of, yeah, we're, we're valuable and we deserve to ask for what we worth, what we're worth and really believing in that. But it's also the recognition that like, yeah, maybe capitalism isn't built for free spirits, but we're in the capitalist system. So how then do we um, react and adapt to that? And sometimes that means taking jobs outside of our preferred industry. And that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. You know, I think the mindset of like, cool, how can I create the life that I want to create and be open to all the avenues that that might be? Doesn't mean that you have to give up the creative aspects of your life or not, even that those are the main um, streams of income. I think what's most important about that shift in the mindset is, is acknowledging that you can build the life that you want. It just might not be in the same way as you were expecting. And I think, you know, dismissing the expectations for how you will be successful or how you're going to make money as an artist is really important. And then accountability, I think it's exactly what you said. We can't have, we can't expect people to come in and do things for us. You know, accountability is a responsibility for our own actions. You know, it's taking ourselves out of that victim mode and, and not waiting for someone to come save us, but learning the skills and implementing the habits that are going to get us to our goals. And I do think that it is the mindset plus accountability that really makes the biggest impact. If you've like, you know, done some work on mindset and, and um, I'll offer some actionable ways to, to work on that um, as we go through this, you know, then you have to hold yourself accountable for that. It's not just saying, you know, the mantra, I love money and money loves me. And that's just it. You know, you're, you're rolling in it. It's like, no, you, you got to take the action to it. So it's that mindset. It's the changing of the way that you're perceiving your industry, your world, your financial situation, whatever it is, and then action with that. And that's why 
I really benefited from having a coach because my coach was able to give that accountability to me. And now I'm able to be that accountability for my clients as well. Sometimes that person, you know, holding your hand beside you through the hard stuff is, is what you need. Or, you know, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's putting things in your calendar. Maybe it's notes to yourself, but you have to find the system where you're able to implement the changes that you want to make. Yeah. And I'm living proof that saying I love money and money loves me for 20 years doesn't work because I've been saying that for 20 years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the key to changing your mindset is you got to get to the root issue. It's one of these things that you can't put like, can't put a bandaid on it if it needs open heart surgery. You know, you've got to get to the root issue and discover what that is and then, and then move forward from there. And also the thing of if you're doing another job that's not art, then you're not an artist. Obviously, anybody listening to this show could care less about that, um, especially because I'm a lighting designer and a lot of lighting designers go into production management or go into a technical field or something like that, that arguably isn't art, even though they could go design a show, they could do something artsy. We're all on a journey and we're doing different things at different times. So I feel like everyone on this show knows that. But I do think there's an emotional connection there that's sort of ingrained deep down that that is sort of a hard hurdle to deal with. But every once in a while, you just have to slap yourself and say, get into shape, human being. (laughs) (laughs) You are an artist, even if you're at this day job or even if you're doing this other thing. And and accountability, we had Eli Zoller on last week, and he is a musician turned uh, financial advisor. His daughter was diagnosed with autism or on the autism spectrum. And he just took accountability immediately and just like switched his careers overnight. So that that was like a really good story of, you know, you do what you have to do for yourself, for your family, etc. And is he any less of a musician? No, not on Broadway, etc. But he's living a good life. He's financially, you know, accountable and good. All right. So let's zero in on mindset. How do we decide to be financially successful or financially responsible? Okay, I'm going to start. I'm going to. How do we decide to be financially successful? Um, I think first there is we have to look at our definition of success, right? Everyone is success can is often defined by our society, right? You can think about this in terms of stories. I call them the stories we tell ourselves. And this is what I mean by like getting to the root, the root stories, the root beliefs. We all have beliefs and stories that we have absorbed from the time that we were born, from our family, from the people that surround us, from our industry, from our culture. Over time, those stories get ingrained in us, right? It's It's like... I told you I I did that theater training growing up. I don't know. Like, I can't even name how many times one of my teachers was like, don't go into acting, right? You'll never make a living, like, or always working paycheck to paycheck, right? All of these stories. And even if we don't, we're like, oh, right, okay. That gets ingrained in our subconscious over years and years and years. I think the key to changing our mindset is we have to be able to identify, okay, What's the belief driving my action? All those beliefs, subconscious beliefs or conscious ones are driving our actions. So if there's a deep-seated belief that we cannot be financially successful, we have to we have to understand what that is and where it comes from. And that, I think, is the way that we decide to be financially successful. So personally, I had a belief that, you know, I wouldn't make very much money as an actor because that's what I've been told for many, many years that I'd always be working paycheck to paycheck. So I had to 
let that belief become conscious. I had to understand that I was operating from that belief. And then I had to say to myself, is that true? Is that belief true or not? And I decided it wasn't true for me, that I didn't have to make no money as an actor, that I I could make money as an actor. So in that sense, that was me deciding to be financially successful. But the other piece of that is I had to define what success looked like for me. So what did financial success as an actor or an artist look like for me and be okay with that being different from someone else? We are naturally inclined to compare as human beings. Um, Brene Brown shared this in her, she's an HBO special. I love Brene Brown. I might mention her many times, Um, but she talks about comparison and that it's a natural human inclination. And that to me was a bit freeing. I was like, oh, I'm always going to compare myself. Cool. But then I can keep coming back to, okay, but what's true for me? That person, I see them on, on Broadway, whatever, that's success. Is that success for me though? you know, and it's different for everyone. And so I think that's a question you have to consider when you're like, okay, deciding to be financially successful, what does success look like? And what are the unconscious beliefs that might be standing in my way? I love it. I love it. And also I was listening to this podcast called the investors podcast, and they have a host named Trey Lockerbie. He was just randomly mentioned in one of the episodes, he said, you know, hardly anybody sits down and figures out what number, like financial number they need in retirement. He's like, if you do that, you can realize that like, you don't need $2 million, or you don't need this. And, and you can like realize, oh, in order to live my life, I can adjust and do that. I feel like that plays into it a little bit of like defining what success is, because our success may be that we have $300,000 in a retirement account, like that's our nest egg. And then our other plan is to do this or do something else. Because like you were saying, it's not necessarily what is right for somebody else. Exactly. And, you know, I like to think of it, it's like, you know, you might, your goal might be to make $50,000 a year. And then maybe someone's other goal to make $200,000 a year. And you can both survive. And if you can pay all of your expenses comfortably and save money for what you want to save money for and pay off debt, if you want to pay off debt, then who cares, right? It's all about what it's all relative. I have, you know, clients that definitely make more or less than, you know, each other. And we focus on their goals. That's why personal finance is so personal. All right. Now this question may be more for a psychiatrist or counselor or something like this, but this is the one that I think I struggle with the most. How do we decide what really matters to us? Well, I think the first thing to decide what really matters to you is looking at your values. And you can do this. There's tons of different values exercises that you can do. You can One way I've done it is you can just Google like list of values. I'll give it a shameless plug for Brene Brown. She has one on her website. It's very good. Um, And she encourages you to narrow it down to two main values. Uh, I do like three to five like core values. The other way you can do it is just think about what matters to you in your life and just make a list of like literally everything that matters to you. Um, And then you can look at the spaces that maybe aren't serving you, right? So that you can really see any misalignment if there is misalignment in your life, you know? So the things that matter to me are, you know, having a comfortable home, my family, learning. I love spending time with my friends. I prefer quality time over going out. So I value quality in like one-on-one time versus 
going to events or parties. So you can kind of do it in those in those ways. But when you work with values, like if you looked at a list of values and picked out your core ones, mine, mine right now are authenticity, compassion, and curiosity. So then you can always come back to these values and, and say, is this in alignment? Um, because you'll feel it if it's misaligned. You know, I think we've all done things where we're like, oh, that didn't feel like me or that didn't feel great, or it's a little cringy, you know, like that is misalignment. So, you know, I value curiosity. That means I also have to value listening to others, right? And keeping an open mind. Um, So in in my life, then if I value curiosity, that means I'm not just going to cut people off when they're talking about something I disagree with. Because if I value curiosity, I value listening to a different perspective and staying open to that. Awesome. I love it. Okay. Now this, I need you to answer this question. Honestly, I feel like you've been authentic and honest with us as we go on this curious journey together. Um, But this question is listening to artistic finance an absolute requirement for a good mindset. Anything that brings you deeper understanding about yourself and your situation is helpful. All right. So I'll just repeat back in, in my words what you said. Yes, everyone should listen to artistic finance. That's an absolute necessity for everyone. And it's a good thing. I think so, honestly, because you cover so many different topics. Like, I re- that's the curiosity thing, right? Whenever I tell people to like read personal finance <laughs> books or anything or listen to podcasts, it's always with the caveat of like, you get to decide the nuggets that you pull out, right? And so I've, I've heard plenty of great nuggets in your, in your episodes. <laughs> I love it. I'm just kidding, everyone, everyone, everyone. Be authentic to yourself, <laughs> whether, whether or not that involves artistic finance. Um, okay, so now this last question on mindset. Do people need a coach? I know you've said that that's helped you. I've never had a financial coach or a creative coach. Like if maybe they're like me and they're like, I'm always like, what do I care about? Like trying to figure out that for whatever reason is hard for me in, in relation to like financial goals. Should I just get a coach and then see if they can help? Well, I'm biased. So, you know, I'm going to recommend coaching, but I think it's twofold. Um, I think you can learn plenty on your own. Like, honestly, you can read books, you can Google pretty much all the information that I'm going to teach you as a financial coach. But I think the difference is that you do have to have the discipline and I don't know if, I don't know if calling it the personality is the, is the best thing, but like you have to have uh, the discipline to, if you read a book, implement those things. Sometimes people just read books and they're like, that was great. You know what I mean? But you have to have the discipline to, if you resonate with something, like implement it. And sometimes that's where the accountability piece is tough. It's helpful to have a therapist or a coach or a mentor, whoever it is to support you through those harder moments, because some of the mindset stuff is really tough. Like there is systemic racism built into our financial system. There is financial trauma, generational trauma, like some of this money stuff is deep and emotional and hard. So sometimes it is nice to have that additional support. I don't think it's 100% needed, but I think it's a fast track. I maybe could have gotten to this place where I'm at now on my own. Like I, I, in my, in my money story, um, as I tell it, I was kind of getting there at the end of 2019. I, I really wanted to make a change. I had talked to my friend. I had talked to my dad. I had a plan. 
And, and then the world went, and the world went, you know, kaput and it was just devastating. And, and I, I really needed additional help from that point um, because of, you know, the situation we were in. So I think yes or no. Um, I think that you can get to a certain point on your own. I also think that, you know, if you want to fast track some things, you know, and gain a little bit deeper knowledge and have some of the bounce ideas off of and ask advice to, and, you know, I fully support my clients in creating a customized budget and debt repayment plan for them. I think you can do it on your own a hundred percent. I also think for some people, it feels better to have someone there with you by your side. And I love being that support for my clients. Yeah. And I, to me, one advantage I can obviously see is somebody keeping you grounded. So it's like, it's one thing to make a list of goals. I do that every single year, <laughs> but who checks in quarterly or who checks in monthly, you know, to say, oh, hey, you know, and just asking the question of like, how are you doing with your goals, then forces you into saying, oh, well, right, I got to think about that. Oh, and then, you know, whether or not you fall through or fall off the wagon, etc. I don't know. But having somebody remind you seems super obviously good. And I'm also wondering, since you got a coach and you're saying it was so wonderful, but all this information is available for the very, you know, uber responsible human being who's going to do it. Do you think it helped you because maybe you paid for it and you thought, well, I've paid for it and therefore I really should focus on this? Or do you think that there was nuggets in a system in there that helped you? I think personal finance is a massive topic and it can be very overwhelming and hard to start. If you Google one thing, you're going to get 15 different opinions on it, six different lists about what to do what. And if you aren't very financially literate, you're going to be like, holy crap, how do I even start? Maybe do half of one thing and then never visit again. Maybe not everyone, right? But it's overwhelming. It's an overwhelming topic, especially if it's something that you're unfamiliar with. So I think having someone teach me a system, give me information that was pretty basic, but pertinent and still felt honestly overwhelming when I learned it, um, was so, so helpful. I absorbed a lot in the time that I, I worked with my coach. And then I just learned, you never stop learning. Like I love that because I never stop learning personal finance. There's just so much to dig into and, and learn more about. The other piece is yes. I was like, I'm paying for this. I am going to get my money's worth out of my coach and ask her every single question I have, get super clear on these things. And for me, the money held me accountable. <clears throat> you know, it held me accountable to doing this work. Honestly, for some people, the money doesn't hold them accountable. People pay for plenty of things that they like don't follow through with. Um, but for me, it was really helpful in that way. And it helped me get the most out of my work with, with her. I, I like the idea of the fast tracking of like, Yes, maybe the information is is simple or it's out there, but it is an overwhelming mess of information on what to do. And everybody's circumstances are so different. So chatting with somebody who can zero in on your specifics and then say, okay, so you need to worry about this. You're never going to have a house. Therefore, you don't need to worry about a mortgage. So let's that we can just cross that one out. That sounds very appealing to me. Taking a break from the interview to mention our Patreon page. The perks of being a patron are that you get a private podcast feed with all the bonus materials and early releases of each episode. You get the outtakes from the episodes, including today's interview, where Rachel and I discuss more about success, about Taylor Swift, and the question that Rachel asks me, 
Artistic Finance patrons are helping us give monthly support to more than 30 freelancers with side hustles. 25% of the income we get goes back out to support artists or arts nonprofits. And of course, patrons are supporting our mission to improve the finances of freelance artists. We are providing a space to answer any financial question without any fear of shame, stigma, or guilt. If this is something you'd like to be a part of, please sign up for a Patreon account and add us as a line item to your monthly budget. You can find us and join up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. Thank you in advance. And now back to the show. Now I want to jump to accountability. How do we be accountable in, let's say, being paid what we're worth instead of settling for maybe the low paying jobs? Oh, that's such a great question. Okay. Well, like I said earlier, accountability is accepting responsibility for your own action. So if you want to be accountable and being paid what you're worth, what you believe you're worth, you have to ask for it. I think that's the way to be accountable and being paid. And that can be very, very scary, you know, having that conversation. Or I remember the first time um, I negotiated uh, a rate of pay. I It was my second yoga teaching job. And I like had a, had a rate that was still fairly low in my head that I wanted. And I, I got the job and, and the offer of the hourly rate. And I was like, oh, I really was hoping for like five more dollars. And so I was so stressed. Oh my God, if I ask for more money, like what's going to happen? They're just going to not hire me. Like how, like, oh my gosh, right? I have no sense of my worth. But I did it anyway, actually. I emailed and asked for more money and they gave me it. And that was really affirming because I was like, oh, I am worth that much money. And even if they had said no, I always come back to like, what if, what if they did say no, maybe I don't want to work there if they're not going to pay me what I'm worth. That's it. And it goes back to that accountability piece of like, no one's going to swoop in and save you. Like, I'm sorry, but employers are not just going to like offer you more money because they think you're amazing. Like they have budgets to stay on, you know what I mean? So you have to be the one to go in and, and ask for it. I love all of that. And my little tip that I have done, although not recently because of the jobs that I've been getting, I just, there hasn't been much negotiation to do. But anytime I have a negotiation or it's up in the air on what the pay is, I always ask for more. So if they make the first offer, even if it's really good, I always ask for more. Yes. That's just my rule. And the reason is because I'm gonna say huge percentage, like half, half of the time they say, you know, if we can't offer you more money, maybe we can do this. Or they do offer a little bit of extra money. Or they say, you know, we can't quite do that, but would you be okay doing this? Or uh, blah, 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 we can't do that, but maybe we can cut your hours a little bit. Yes, you can negotiate everything. Yeah, everything is negotiable. I'm not kidding when I say like 50% of the time they're able to in- do something else. So I just have the rule anytime somebody offers something, I counter with, uh, okay, what about this? Like, you know, I love that because again, worst case scenario, they say no. Yeah. Yeah. I never recommend people take the first offer, even if it's what you want, or if it's like, like you said, a really good offer that exceeds your expectations, always ask for more because it teaches whoever the employer is that they're also going to have to negotiate, um, for non-male listeners or people doing that, it can be tough. You know, women are already paid less. <laughs> the gender wage gap is still real. And, you know, the all sorts of wage gaps, right? So if you're in a marginalized, historically oppressed 
group who has historically not been paid as much as, you know, cis white men. Um, I think it's in this another like little hump to get over and ask for that more amount. But I just like always, always do it. It is it is hard when I when I counter and I say, oh, what about this? I like spend an hour and a half on the email, you know, <laughs> even though all it's going to say is um, what about this? But I somehow like try to phrase it just right. And a lot of times I don't even want to do it. But I'm like, Ethan, you have the rule. Mm-hmm. The rule. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's emotional. Money's emotional. I actually, I actually have a second, let's say, negotiating tip. And that is that every producer ever, even the best of the best, always don't have money. No matter what, they are always saying, oh, you know, the budget, it's just not in the budget. That is producer training 101, first day of class, they say, all right, any email starts with, our budget's really low, we don't have the resources, could you do it for this? I swear they are taught that. (laughs) And I'm here to say that you will never meet a producer that just gives you whatever you want. Unless you were working for WeWork back when WeWork was a thing. (laughs) Then I think maybe they- Then maybe. (laughs) Okay, see, those are my two tips, the only tips I have. Those are good tips. People, listeners, take listen to Ethan here. Good tips. <laughs> All right, Rachel, back to accountability. I'm going to hold myself accountable to stay on topic here. <laughs> um, how can we keep ourselves accountable with spending less than we earn? A budget. Budget will keep you accountable for spending less than you earn because numbers don't lie. <laughs> Lisa, Lisa Panicia was on a previous episode, and she wrote this book called The ABCs of Money or Finance. That was her favorite saying is the numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. I, um, my, my coach and, and now my, my, my boss, AJ always says this. And, and now I say it too, because it's so true. She's like, you know, I, I can learn everything I need to learn about a person by looking at their historical expenses and budget. And it's true because you see where people put their money, you see what they value in, in their life. It's really, really incredible. Since you had a financial coach, how, how does budgeting work for you? Like, did you do you make it? Because I always say like, oh, it's important to make it. And then once you sort of understand it, you don't really need to track it. Do you agree or disagree? Like, do you still track yours? Yeah, I think it takes many, many, many years until you get to a point where you're less in the numbers. Um, and with all of my clients, I provide them a budget template that we work through. We get historical data. We create the personalized budget for them. But their assignment is every single week to record their expenses and look at and see if it aligns with their budget, where they're overspending, where there might be extra room to spend, you know, and that's every week. I know people, I was in the numbers every day. I love looking at my budget. It's very comforting for me now. It makes me feel secure. Um, so I'd say for a while, you're you're in the numbers for quite some time. And I'm still in the numbers. I'm every single week. I, I look at my budget, I put in my expenses, I get a view of what's going on in my financial life. You know, a few years down the line, maybe I'm doing that once or twice a month, maybe a few years after that, maybe I'm budgeting with percentages versus numbers. It it, it just gets more advanced, right? But I think you got to be in the numbers for a little bit. You got to be really in it because you got to know that like, if you're not used to budgeting, you got to practice, it's a skill, right? And and what did they say about becoming a master at something? 10,000 hours. So I think it's the same thing. You really have to commit yourself. And like I said, the feeling for me really changed. I'm like, Oh my God, how much is in my coffee budget? Yes, I can buy the coffee today. Amazing. Like it's so comforting to me to just know what's happening. See that picture of, of my life. 
It's definitely a habit and a muscle to build. And I like making it fun. Make it a fun experience. Like have a glass of wine, like put on your favorite show in the background, make sure you're like full and nourished and like have a good meal beforehand. That's mindset too, right? It's shifting. It's shifting the, oh, I got a budget money to, I get to budget. Oh my gosh. How amazing that I can sit down and I can put in my expenses and I can, and I can take care of myself in this way. Self-care. Wow. Rachel turning that frown upside down. I have never met somebody that's so excited about budgeting. I know you probably never will. I freaking love it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Episode 105 and we found somebody that likes it. You've had a coach for two years then. So have you been budgeting for two years? Yeah. Wow. Two years and going strong. Well, congratulations. And if anybody's listening and they like budgeting, please shoot me an email at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com and let me know because up until today, I thought these people were mythical, (laughs) but we have had one right here in front of me. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, Just out of curiosity, what budgeting software do you use? Oh, I don't use software. Um, I use um, an Excel spreadsheet. It's very, very detailed Excel spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. And it's totally customizable. Yeah, it's, it's all my favorite colors. <laughs> it has all my all my everything in there. It's my it's my budgeting Bible. Wow. Okay, this also makes me love you because I use Excel or Google Docs or Google Sheets because I I like tried Mint into it and then I tried Personal Capital and I, I just like for me Excel is like the best, easiest, simple. I like it simple. Software and apps are great to a point, but they're not as personalized. You can personalize them to an extent, but I think using Google Sheets for me allows me to like customize it in exactly the way, put in everything that I need to, um, and also do other things. You know, um, as an independent contractor, I forecast my income, so you know I'm able to see how much I'm going to be making in the next two, three, four, six months. Um, so that lives in there, that sort of thing. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There's no nothing quite as personal as a nice Google Sheet. I know. <laughs> Just makes me warm and fuzzy. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, let's say um, you talked about like you make a debt payoff plan. Um, I'm assuming maybe also like a savings retirement plan. Um, how do we keep ourselves accountable once we make that plan? I mean, with debt repayment, it's a schedule. I work with my clients and we create a plan, a schedule for the debt. And I think it's like if you feel overwhelmed with the debt, it's like the minimum every month right? Like you, you pay the minimum every month and you hold yourself accountable to that. Um, the thing about debt is it's the worst. I don't think debt is the worst. (gasps) I think that there is a way to utilize debt to your advantage. When you change the mindset around your debt, incredible things can happen. Um, so I think being accountable at debt is creating that schedule, right. And really holding yourself accountable to that. Um, and then savings, I think the way to hold yourself accountable to savings is just fall in love with taking care of future you more than putting present you perhaps in some sort of financial, financially unstable situation. Um, Like every decision you make now affects future you. It's like, you know, you think back on, you think back, I think back on like high school, Rachel, the decisions I made in high school affected my life. Right. And that's no different from the decisions that we're making now. So I think you have to be really caring and compassionate towards towards future you. I really want to have a strong retirement 
um, plan so that I don't have to work until I'm 85. You know, that's me making choices now to take care of a future of me. And I think holding yourself accountable to a savings plan is holding yourself accountable to your goals and holding yourself accountable to the life that you want to create and build and really valuing saving money over spending it in some situations. Not all, because like you need to have food and like, you know, pay rent and like enjoy your life. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, also take care of future you. Love it. I love it. I have a quote here from Martin Luther King Jr. You don't have to see the whole staircase, just take the first step. So, Rachel, say there's a freelancer out there, and let's just say they're 29, approaching 30. They haven't been thinking about retirement or finance, and and now they're like, hey, you know what? I need to get serious and make a retirement plan, and I want to have a financially secure future. What is that first step that they can take, even if they aren't sure um, where it's going to lead them? Um, I think there's a few first steps um, since personal finance is such a, a large, a large sphere. You can take multiple avenues into into it. Um, th- uh, an easy first step might be just to ask for help, ask for support, and it could be a coach. Um, it could be just starting to talk about money with your friends, asking, "Hey." how did you get that car loan? Can you talk to me about that process? Because I really want to buy a car. Or, hey, do you have a retirement account? Because I'm thinking about opening one and I don't know anyone who has one (laughs) or something like that, right? Um, So maybe it's just that first step is starting to talk about it more. And it's not like, you know, digging out into everyone's financial (laughs) history necessarily, but asking about the things that you're curious and seeing if other people can offer some insight um, or paying a coach to offer you that insight. Um, I'd say another first step that someone could take, especially if they if retirement is the goal, is to um, just take a quick Google of the retirement options out there, research them, and choose one. Retirement accounts are very easy to open. There's no fees. The key with retirement accounts though, is you need to make sure that the money is being invested. Otherwise, it's not really going to It's not going to do the fun compounding interest thing and it's not automatically invested. So that, that is the thing to be mindful of there, but Google is a great, a great friend for you. I want to reemphasize that point about, yes, opening the retirement account is good. Putting money in the retirement account is good, but you have to invest that money. Yes, you have to give yourself the gift of compounding interest. We had projection designer Kate Hebner on the show and she said for five years, she had the Roth IRA yeah. And she didn't invest any of the money. Yeah. Oh, it's Five the case years. with so many people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So many people. And it's, you know, we're not blaming anyone, right? It's like that. Well, that just is what it is. You learn from it, but invest the money. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's why I started this show because I got information from people. Like, there's just some common knowledge financial things out there that, like, everybody in theater knows save your receipts. You can itemize, do this. Everybody knows this. And then I sat down for my first tax time and I was like, all these common knowledge things like are not so so you have to figure it out for like what you need like for yourself and so actually that's why i have this show so that we can talk about these things and learn that like oh yeah i have to invest that money in the retirement account (laughs) so this is just for fun i heard this on another podcast and so i'm throwing this into the end of mine is there any questions that you have for me yeah i'd love to know what is a belief that you held about money for a long time and if you still have it, if it's changed, but what's, what's a belief that, that you have consciously or subconsciously held about money? This is going to seem like a cop-out, 
But I just assumed if you worked in theater that you would not have money. I don't think that's a cop-out. I think it's a very common belief. And, and working in theater still and having this podcast now for at least two years, I still have it. I still like have that belief in me. <laughs> we were talking about getting a financial coach, all the information being out there. It's like, I, I've learned a lot from so many people that I've interviewed. I've had people on the show who are really good with the business like of their art and all that. And like, I have all that informa information, but like, sometimes I'm like still working at some of the theaters that like I used to that don't pay great. There's all these reasons that I make for myself on like why I'm still going to that theater and doing the working for that fee or whatever. And I think part of it is that like, because I'm like, oh, it's the way it is. But you know what? I think that is a very common misconception about mindset. Because like I said, I think the key to mindset is identifying those beliefs. And then you have to choose a new belief for yourself. Very wise person told me, a few years ago, that um, our limiting beliefs don't always go away. We're not like going to eliminate them, right? That belief might always be a part of your psyche. But what we can do is give other beliefs more power. And I really like that because it doesn't force me to like, I have to like fix this or change this about myself. It's like, oh no, that belief is something I had for a long time, but now I can consciously be aware of it and choose something else in the moment. And that's why I think the mindset work, it's like, it can't be a band-aid. It has to be like long-term. Like I still have to remind myself when I'm like, oh, rent. I, I take a step back and I'm like, I am so grateful that I have the money in my bank account to provide myself with a place to live. And that's such a different energy around money, right? So even though that feeling still comes up for me, I mean, if we can teach people about personal finance, it still comes up for me. Just because I'm a coach doesn't mean that I'm not still dealing with, you know, financial surprises or like beliefs that still try and like crop up. But I now have the awareness to choose a different thought or a di or gratitude in that moment instead. And that's, I think, the key to mindset is that you might always, or for a very long time, have to consciously be like, no, redirect. But then, you know, that's when things kind of start to, to shift long-term. It takes time. Everything just takes time. I'm going to practice this for myself. No, redirect. No, redirect. <laughs> And you got to find the thing that's right for you, right? Like when you replace that belief with something like what, what we, what would be the redirect for that belief for you? Redirect is, uh, let's see. All right. I'm doing this for this amount of money or am I going to No, I have better things to do with my time? <laughs> yeah. I, I deserve to be employed by someone who recognizes my inherent value. Because I think the other thing is that there's no victims or like there's nobody to blame. The fact that a theater doesn't pay a lot and has a business model that doesn't pay a lot and they're able to survive that way, like that's not their fault. Like that's how they've done it for a long time. That's the only way they can do it. Not talking about like the roundabout and Lincoln Center nonprofits, but talking about like really small nonprofits, it's not their fault. Well, but you can be empathetic to that and also choose something else if it doesn't feel in alignment for you right now. And I think that's the key, right? It's not blaming or shaming. And it's trusting that insane no to some things because they don't feel aligned. You are opening up an opportunity for a guess. Yeah, yeah. And self-care. I guess that could be a redirect too is yeah, Ethan, Ethan self-care. Like, because I'm learning that I've had, uh, the last few months I've had, um, what I'm calling born after nine 11 people. Like uh, mm -hmm. I've been working with all these young people that are reminding me that I'm old, but they have been so good for me because they care about themselves more than I care about myself. 
And it's like amazing to see them say, we're not going to work crazy hours and we're not going to work for money that it, enough money that's not going to cover our rent. It's been like mind boggling. And I've been like, Ethan, what are you? Yeah, Ethan, self-care, learn from these youngsters. <laughs> I also love what you said about rent, that, wow, I have the money to pay rent. Wow, I am living here in this location and I'm able to afford it. And like, I love that. I've never heard anybody like spin it that way. Same with budgeting. You love budgeting and like, yes, I get to pay rent. But with taxes, I've sort of always had the philosophy of like, I want to pay taxes. Internally, I roll my eyes anytime somebody says, oh, these taxes are just insane. Can you believe that? Because every time I reframe it in my brain of like, because you made that much money, like you're paying these taxes because you made these money. If you weren't paying this much in taxes, that means you wouldn't have made as much money. I have that mindset with like taxes. So if I can do it with taxes, I can do it for myself. <laughs> yes, yes. Gratitude across the board for money. I remembered something that I wanted to say from earlier, and this is because we both went to the great Missouri State University. And that is that I go every year to the um, designers, bring up their portfolios, and I talk to them about what they want to do with their life. Every year that I've gone, almost nobody wants to move to New York. And I say, why not? And it's like this, they're bashful and they're like, oh, you know, I'm not going to be able to afford it. It's a far away from my family. It's blah, blah, blah. So I, Ethan Steimel, having lived in New York for 10 years, am saying to all the Missouri State people that might be listening to this, especially if you're still at Missouri State, you can come to New York. New York is just a place and you can work here and there's plenty of work. You will find it. All you need is a work ethic, you need to be likable, <laughs> and you need like a tiny bit of talent, like a tiny, like not really, like literally, in fact, I'm going to say no talent. You don't even need to have talent. Grit, grit and resilience will get you farther than talent will sometimes. Yes. So anybody who's listening to this, who is like, you maybe want to work in theater or live events or something that's connected to a big city, and you're like, no, the cost of living, blah, 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 just do it. I don't know. I get so upset with the, at those reviews because it's like, why am I even talking to these people? Like, they want to work in Arkansas. They want to go to Chicago. They want to do this. Like, I mean, I'm I never wanted to move to New York, and I tried it, and I loved it for six incredible years. You can do and it. And also, like, right when you're out of school, that is the time to do it. I mean, like, just do it for a little bit. And if you hate it, I'm sorry. I led you astray. You hated it. <laughs> There's a great community of MSU alums, though, in New York. I was really, I I'm, I think I was surprised by that, but it was really comforting. Yeah. And I hate to say this because I don't want like all the emails at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. But I am an MSU alum and I will help find work for you. Like I, I will. Like literally all I have to do is forward your email along or say, hey, is anybody looking for XYZ? But there is there are plenty of. It goes back to what you mentioned about the first step in like financial wellness is like asking for help. It's the same for like moving to New York. If you even have like a little inkling of an idea that you want to move somewhere or to a big city and you're, you're afraid, just like send an email, send a text, connect with somebody and just ask. And then I guarantee people will help because we all had to do it. Yes. So like we've all done it and we all want to help. <sighs> okay. And actually, this is a question for our audience. Was I right earlier when I said that producers take the class and the first thing they're taught is to say we don't have the budget for that because i'm curious so if there's any producers listening please email me and let me know if i was right about that <laughs> all right rachel 
last question for you, which is where can people connect with you and uh, who do you want connecting with you? Great question. Um, you can connect with me in primarily in two places, Instagram. I am addicted to my phone. So I'm always on Instagram at Rachel M. Schmeling, which is my name with the M in the middle. My middle name is Marie. Fun fact. Or you can find me on my website, rachelschmaling.com. I have plenty of contact forms and my email is also on there as well. So you can reach out that way. And I would love to connect to you if you are looking for some support, if you want to work together in finance coaching. I specialize in working with artists and freelancers and entrepreneurs. Um, Or if you want to connect artistically, um, I'm actually moving to Denver in the fall. So if there's any folks in the Denver area that want to connect, please reach out. That's me. All right, Rachel, this was fantastic. You're fantastic. We talked about so many good things. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week's episode. So my takeaways are, what is your definition of success? And what are your core beliefs? Having a good idea of those can help you craft your finances to fit your needs. Budgeting keeps you accountable. It gives Rachel a sense of comfort and can do the same for you. Rachel uses Google Sheets for budgeting. No wide-eyed, eager, innocent financial app for her. That kind of app spins webs no spider ever. Now listen, boy. If it's good enough for Rachel, it's good enough for me. If you're feeling overwhelmed with debt, pay the minimum each month, then become accountable for it by writing out a payment schedule and sticking to it. Fall in love with future self. That's how you can become accountable with savings by taking care of your future you. Reframe your limiting beliefs. Rent is so expensive can be reframed as I get to pay to live in a comfortable space of my own. And a couple topics that we've mentioned before on the show, but they bear repeating. Be sure to invest the money that goes into a retirement account. Don't just save it. Be sure to put it into stocks and bonds. And remember, if you're not investing, you're dying. My negotiation tip, always ask for something more than the initial offer. If they deny the request, that's great. You got a little bit of practice asking. But if you don't ask, that's what hurts you. So always ask, just as a matter of principle. And while you sit there listening, contemplating the easy way out by not asking for more, Remember, a producer's initial line on an email always starts with, we don't have money. Now, that's not actually them saying that they don't have money. That's them saying they want to pay for what they need and nothing more. So let them know what you need to do the job and don't sell yourself short. There was a lot packed into that hour. If you have anything you want to add to the conversation, or if you have a follow-up question or suggestion, please email me directly at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please consider becoming a patron. You'll get a podcast feed with early releases and the bonus content, including today's outtakes about Taylor Swift. Join up and keep these interviews happening at patreon.com slash artisticfinance. Let me leave you with two action items today. The first is to identify your two core beliefs. Now in the show notes, I'm including a link to the list of core values by Brene Brown. Maybe you're already solidified in who you are as a person and what's important to you, but I don't think this will hurt. The two that I picked were openness and usefulness. 
Now, there was a close third that was travel, which I do love to do, but it just doesn't seem core enough. So, what are your two core beliefs? Now, the second action item is for anybody who is listening but hasn't paid the fee for listening to the show. And that fee, of course, is to tell somebody about the show. Now, we learned from our listener survey that a quarter of our listeners found us through social media. So your quick action item for the day is to mention an episode of Artistic Finance on social media and to tag us. Tag Artistic Finance or Ethan Stimel or Nicole Stimel. We're on almost every social media, so whichever is your favorite, use that and we'll find you there. Thanks in advance. That's all I have for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.